Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Kids jingle belling and everyone telling you to be of good cheer. Not wishing you to be of good cheer. They're telling you. I don't care what your year was like. Be of good cheer. Because it's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. Unless some of your loved ones are like my loved ones, a little on the crazy train. And then that's a different story, right? It's the most wonderful time. At least that's what we're told. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. Sipping eggnog, baby Jesus in the manger, silent night. But here's a thought for you. The first Christmas was not a silent night. I've had three children. None of them came into this world with a silent night. There was screaming, and there was crying, and there was yelling, and there was swearing. And that's just me. I won't even tell you what my wife was doing. Right? It was not a silent night. But it's easy to read the first Christmas story and completely miss the mess that was the first Christmas story. And I know your nativity scene will tell you otherwise, but your nativity scene is wrong. Silent was not present. And so just kind of keeping things accurate, we should probably just get rid of all those figurines in our nativity. You know, uh, uh, Mary, mother of Jesus, who is well-rested, relaxed, and looking her best? Probably not. Right, the 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 uh, shepherds who show up freshly showered and all clean, probably not. Baby Jesus lying on a bed of golden, sweet, smelly, sweet smelling straw, probably not. Animals looking on with wonder, probably not. But but that's kind of the tendency of what we do with Christmas. We beautify everything. It's something about this time of year where everything has to be perfect and everything has to be beautiful and the home is decorated and and, and the tree is lit and the stockings hung by the chimney with care and we go through great effort to buy the perfect gift and wrap it in the perfect paper to provide for the perfect day. And then we gather family around, and it doesn't matter how many shots it will take, everyone must be smiling, everyone must look happy. It doesn't matter if we have looked that way all year, we will never look that way again until next Christmas. We must give the portrayal of the perfect Christmas. And perhaps, as we're digging into this idea of we wish you a messy Christmas, perhaps we got it all wrong. Perhaps the wonder of Christmas is not in a 25-day makeover that presents life as perfect. Perhaps the wonder of Christmas is actually in the chaos and in the tension, in the crazy and in the mess. The mess of a virgin being with child. The mess of Joseph struggling with the idea that a virgin's with child. The mess of God stepping into humanity. The mess of the Christ child being born to a dirt poor family from a podunk town. The mess of traveling to Bethlehem on a farm animal while nine months pregnant. The mess of the manger and animals and the smell and all that goes with it. And the mess of childbirth and the mess of holding that baby thinking, now what? The mess. Maybe, maybe this Christmas we need to step away from perfect 
and embrace the mess. For perhaps it is the mess of the first Christmas that we actually find the miracle of Christmas. That is Emmanuel, God with us, in the mess. I I wonder if the whole point of Christmas is to celebrate the mess and in the mess discover that we are covered and wrapped in unbelievable grace. And could the message of Christmas and the message we all need to take deeply into our hearts be that you can be messy and glorious all at the same time? We wish you a messy Christmas. Now this is good news for some of us who are experiencing a messy Christmas. For some of us, this will be your first Christmas without someone that you dearly love. And it's going to be a difficult time. Christmas is going to be messy and it's going to be painful. For others, um, this may be your first Christmas out of a relationship or possibly divorced and it will be a messy Christmas. Maybe 2017 came with a job loss or a, a career change that affected income and now Christmas is going to be light and tight this year. For us, Christmas is messy because we always do our taxes late because we always get a refund and we like to time it around a certain time of year. And this past, uh, uh, about a month ago, we did our taxes to find out that we owe a wad. We've never owed. Christmas has gotten messy. Call our tax guy. He's like, well, you got kids who have aged out of the tax credit and college stuff. And he goes through this list. And I told my wife, we only have one choice. We need to have two more children. Which, that's a whole other mess right there, right? Or maybe you planned to be celebrating this Christmas being married and you're still single. Or maybe Christmas this year in your mind and your plans involved a baby and there's no baby. Or maybe you're struggling with sickness or it's the mess of kids making poor choices or your family is stressed out and it's stretched. And for many of us, there's, there's some area of life that's, that's just messy right now. And how do we function in the mess when Christmas portrays perfection? Is there a possibility that there's a beauty in the mess that we might actually be missing? And so today we begin week one of we wish you a messy Christmas. Because in the mess, we find the miracle of God. Join me as we pray. Lord, it's going to be a little different take on the Christmas story. uh, But we're going to look at the mess of that first story to see... The miracle. And I pray that each of us, as we look at our own lives and our own mess that we may find ourselves in, that we would see Jesus in the midst of our mess. I pray today that we would not hold you at arm's length, but that we would invite you in. And we invite you here now, Holy Spirit, to speak and to encourage and to instill hope in us And I pray for some who are here that are hopeless at this moment, that right now they would hear the whisper of God that begins to instill hope in them. And it would begin to change their outlook on the future. And so we invite you for the offering that's received. We give out of an attitude of worship, out of an attitude of placing you first even among our finances. And so we invite you, Spirit of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read through the Christmas story, you have to understand that Mary had a plan. Mary was doing what all engaged women do. She was preparing for her wedding. And if Joseph was like most men, Mary was probably preparing for her wedding alone. 
and the wedding celebration was, was, was soon to come. And her idea was that she would spend the rest of her life with the man that she loved. And in due time, they would have a couple children and maybe grandchildren. And she would grow old with, with the man that she's marrying. And she would die a rich life surrounded by kids and grandkids. But without warning, life quickly turned messy. We'll read the Christmas story in Luke 1. It says, The angel of the Lord said to her, her being Mary, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the, one, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This was not Mary's plan a. Plan A was a wedding. Plan A was a celebration with friends and family. Plan A was children down the road with her husband who was the father. Mary, she kind of had life under control, moving towards one of the greatest celebrations of her life, and she wakes up the next day with a mess. Now imagine the social issues of what Mary stepped into. Place yourself in Mary's shoes. You are a young girl. You claim to be a virgin, and yet you are with child. What's mom and dad going to say? What is society going to say? And what is my fiancé going to say? I mean, what's that going to be like? Your wife comes to you and says she's pregnant. And it's like, I've had a vasectomy for 10 years, but I haven't cheated on you. I mean, there's some tension going on here that we can quickly dismiss. What, what, what was it like? Now, this is missed on us because in our Western culture, we don't really value sexual purity anymore. But in the first century Jewish culture, virginity at the time of marriage was almost expected. And if you weren't, you brought shame upon yourself, upon your family, and upon your future husband. There were strict uh, consequences for it. And so Mary is now visited by an angel and told that she will be the mother of God. Now, she could not fully comprehend what was taking place, but what she did understand was that life is about to get messy. And yet, look how Mary responds, Luke 1, 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, hey, whatever God desires, I'm going to be okay with. Because my life isn't primarily about me, and I'm I'm not going to use God to get what I want in life. Instead, I'm going to pursue the life that God wants for me, even, even if it becomes messy. Can can you say that prayer that God would, whatever it is, that that however you want to transform, whatever you want to work, whatever you need to do in me, whatever path you need to set me on, uh, I'm your servant and I'm willing even if life gets messy. But Mary isn't the only mess that we find in the first Christmas story. We'll jump to Luke chapter 2. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Here's a messy spiritual experience, right? They're scared to death. Now, sometimes 
the closer that God gets to us, the messier that life gets, at, at least for a moment. Sometimes the closer God gets, the more tension that we have as we begin to wrestle with, with, with my decisions versus God's decision, my flesh versus my spirit. And sometimes the closer God gets, the messier that life becomes. In other words, if you think that the spiritual life of following Jesus is one where Jesus makes your life mess-free, you are going to be extremely disappointed in your faith. You will be perpetually frustrated. If you think the spiritual life of following Jesus means that Jesus makes you mess-free, you are going to have a difficult Christian experience because often when God presses in, life tends to get a little messy. At times, the Christian experience as a whole is messy. Now, we just finished our The Elephant in the Room series where we talked about being generous uh, and uh, overcoming our fears of generosity. If you've taken the challenge to begin to be generous with your finances, you are in a messy situation right now because you are now juggling things around on how can I be uh, God-honoring with my treasure, and you're in a messy spot right now because God approached and, and sometimes when God approaches, life gets messy. Or when God tells us to forgive, even when you're in the right, that's messy. When all that we want to do is hold on to bitterness and hang on to anger, and we want to hate, and God says, no, 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 no. If you're a follower of Christ, you've lost that right. And now what I'm asking of you to do is for you to forgive just as you've been forgiven. That's messy when we have to wrestle with that. Or serving on Sunday when you want to sleep in, that's messy. We're called to die to ourselves. And anytime we have to die to ourselves, it's messy. And so the the presence, the, the, the kingdom of God, the presence of God draws near. And these guys are terrified because oftentimes when the presence of God comes and begins to work in us and speak to us and speak over us, life sometimes becomes messy. Look at verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is Lord. Here's another messy event in the first Christmas story. We have to ask, why is God writing shepherds into the holy first Christmas story? Now again, this is lost on us in in our culture, but shepherds were not highly thought of. If you were a shepherd in first century Judea or in first century Jewish culture, something went wrong in your life. Being a shepherd was not your plan A, not plan B, not plan C. Something happened that left you in the unenviable spot of being a shepherd. This was not the occupation people were seeking. They were at the bottom of the Palestinian social ladder. Shepherds had a poor reputation They did not own their sheep. They were just hired hands. And so often they kind of cared for the sheep only for a paycheck. Sometimes they were known to steal the sheep and say that a wild animal came and took the sheep. They they just could not be trusted. The, The missioner refers to shepherds as in belittling terms. One passage describes them as being incompetent people. Another one says there is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. Hey, it was so bad that shepherds could not be trusted that they were not permitted to be a witness in court. Now, it's a little odd that the first people to hear of the good news and good tidings and peace on earth were the bottom rung of the social ladder. 
We would say the mess of society. And yet for some reason, God enters the story by coming in to a virgin girl from a poor family in a podunk town, and the first people that he tells about it are the forgotten of society. The whole story is somewhat of a mess. To buy wool or milk or a kid, you know, uh, uh, animals, was forbidden on the assumption that probably what you were buying was most likely stolen property. And so why would God come to messy shepherds? Why wouldn't he come to a priest or to a king or to somebody of nobility or a respected member of society? Listen, it's almost, it's almost as if God is at home among the mess. It's almost as if God is at home among messy individuals. And it's almost as if God says, if I'm going to write a story, yeah, I don't need to go for the nobility and those who are highly sought after and those with reputations. I'm going to come underneath because this, these are my people. People who are sick, people who are forgotten, people who are messy. Luke 2, 11. It says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, why a Savior? Why not a helper? Why didn't God just send somebody that would help me? Because that's really what we need. I don't need to be saved. I just, I just need to be helped a little bit. Just kind of get me over the hump. If you could help me out. God. That's a lot of people how we approach God. Just, just if you could help me when life is difficult, and then I'll move on and I'll call you again when life is hard. Or why not a teacher, someone who could instruct me? Or why not a counselor, somebody who could uh, uh, help me navigate the difficult decisions of life? Why not a coach, someone who can train me from the sideline? Or why didn't God just send a cleaner-upper that can walk behind me and clean up my messes? Every time I make a mess, he could clean it up and we could just keep moving forward. And yet God says, to you, to the world, is a savior. Why a savior? Because I'm a mess that needs to be rescued. I just don't need a little bit of advice. I just don't need coaching. I just don't need training. I just don't need education. I need someone to get down in the mess with me and restore me. I don't need a coach yelling from the sideline how I can do better or a teacher grading me on every, uh, on every performance. And I don't need a counselor reminding me of the seven steps to a better life. I need a savior, one that is not put off by the mess that is Marty. And you need a savior and one who is not put off by the mess that is you because you know the mess that you have caused, that you bring and that you are engaging in even today. A savior that is at home and comfortable with my mess. Luke 2.12. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Here's another mess. Is this the best that God could do for his son? All three of my babies came home to a fully decorated nursery. All right. 85% decorated. I never finished it, to be honest with you. But they came home to a 50% decorated nursery is what my babies came home. But they weren't laid in a manger. I mean, this is a feeding trough, right? This is a cattle bowl. It would be the equivalent today of saying, you will find a baby lying in a urinal. Exactly. 
you don't put babies in urinals. Right? It's not what happens. And yet this entire story is odd. It's a little messy. And it's almost as if God is saying, I'm at home in the mess. And that's good news for those of us who find ourselves in a mess. These are not the things that you would associate with God being born among us, the Christ child entering into the world, a virgin with an unexpected pregnancy, the social stigma she had to endure, Joseph wrestling with being a stepfather, lowly shepherds, the first to hear the good news, Jesus born outdoors, he's put in a feeding trough, Herod the Great would find out and and, and soon would would order the death of all children in Bethlehem, two years and under. This is not a silent night. Your nativity scene is wrong. So just go home today and knock them all over. (laughs) This morning, I wish you a messy Christmas. And I'm not trying to Scrooge your Christmas. I put the G on that so you heard it very clearly. I'm not trying to scrooge your Christmas. I'm really trying to encourage us that Jesus is at home in the mess. That is fantastic news for us. That Jesus is at home with disappointments and difficult circumstances. And he looks at the mess of my sinful life and instead of condemning me, he steps into the mess with me. That's a miracle of Christmas. And it's not about perfection and me portraying a family unit that is perfect. It's about God saying, I'm I'm in here with you. We're going to do this together. I don't know what's better news than that for Christmas. He gets into the dirt and he steps into the trash heap and he walks into messy relationships and he's at home with my dysfunction and I have a lot of dysfunctions. And he's not pushed away by a messy past. You know, the, 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 the doctor that says that you can tell me or you can show me, you're not going to show me anything I've never seen. That's Jesus, kind of like, hey, you, you, can, you, can, you can invite me in. You're not going to show me anything I've never Oh my gosh, right? That's not what Jesus is going to do to us. He's at home in the mess. And this is the Christian life. It's not a life without mess, but it's Jesus in the mess with us. And this is the wonder of Christmas. That Jesus the creator of everything, loves messy, filthy people. And even seemed to go out of his way to be with them, smelly fishermen and hated tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and half-breeds and those who rejected God's law and those who were marginalized and those who were sick that society forgot about. Jesus gathers them around and says, you're my people. Listen to a quote from Messy Spirituality. It says, What if imperfection, unfinishedness, and messiness are, in fact, the earmarks of true Christianity? That real Christianity is messy and erratic and lopsided and gloriously liberating. What if genuine faith begins with admitting that we will never have our act completely together? Maybe messy disciples are exactly the kind of imperfect people Jesus came to earth for and whose company he actually enjoyed and still enjoys. It says, if you want to find Jesus today, look for him in the midst of burned out believers, of moral misfits, of religious incompetence, men and women whose lives are, well, messy. Messy spirituality is a strong antidote for, here it is, the spiritual perfectionism 
in all of us. Here are the truths that can cut you loose from the tyranny of autos and open your eyes to the deep spirituality of being loved, shortcomings and all. Of the God who meets you and transforms you in the midst of a messy and unpredictable life. That is your Christmas gift in a messy Christmas. Jesus had this irresponsible habit of throwing the doors of love open to even messy people. And when Levi went to throw a banquet in honor of Jesus, the, 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 the tidy people, the Pharisees and the religious elite, couldn't understand why, why Levi and Jesus and the others were actually gathering around with them sinners and tax collectors and, 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 and the bottom of society. And they were complaining, like, why would Jesus do such a thing? Because the tidy people don't get it. Jesus is at home in the mess. Jesus answered them, Luke 5, 31. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. Listen again, some of us actually believe that until we choose the correct way to live, we are not choosable. Listen to that again. Some of us actually believe that until we choose the correct way to live, we are not choosable. That until we clean up the mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. I love this next line. It says the opposite is actually true. Until we admit we're a mess, Jesus won't have anything to do with us. Hey, the religious elite and the Pharisees that thought they had no mess, Jesus was at arm's length with them. And those who recognized their faults and their failures, Jesus was always bringing them closer, pulling them in. This is the beauty of Christmas. Jesus loves messy people. And now we reveal our representation of that love. And this is what the church should represent. Jesus present in our mess. And not that we judge other people whose mess is bigger than our mess. As I know, I'm messy, but you, you're messy. I've heard rumors of your mess. That's not the Jesus we see portrayed. We're not judging those whose mess seems messier than mine. Listen again, a quote from Messy Spirituality. Nothing in the church makes people in the church more angry than grace. It's ironic. We stumble into a party where, where, where we weren't invited to and find the uninvited standing at the door making sure no other uninvited people get in. Then a stranger phenomenon occurs. As soon as we're included in the party because of Jesus' irresponsible love... We decide to make grace more responsible by becoming self-appointed kingdom monitors, guarding the kingdom of God, keeping the riffraff out, which as I understand it, are who the kingdom of God is supposedly to include. Hey, the church should be a place where messy people are on display. And the church, universal, has done a disservice by portraying a mess-free existence. And so let me just say as the pastor of this church, we are a messy church and we need to be a messy church and we need to become a messier church. And so I've had people tell me that my life is in so much chaos, but I look around the room and everybody seems to have their life together and I just wonder if I fit in here. I want to tell them, oh dear Lord, do you fit in here? We've just gotten really good at hiding our mess and portraying you perfection. 
but the church is the place where the mess should be portrayed because people can see through our cracks and they can see Jesus inside who is working even with and in messy people. The church should not be in the business of editing all the mistakes and messiness out of life. That's not the church. We should be the one place we can go and stop pretending. So we're preparing for an upcoming service, a series called This Is Us, Inspirational Stories for a New Year. Where we'll be sharing stories of within the congregation. And we just don't want stories of look at, look at how I've made it and life is perfect. There's, there's a beauty and the tension and the struggle and, and that you and I, we can relate to. Here's the good news about Christmas. Jesus wants to be present in the mess. So that in your mess, you may begin to find beauty. And one of our spiritual hills that we die on is spiritual growth. But understand Spiritual growth is not a one-time decision. Spiritual growth is one small step, one decision at a time, and one small step towards God is a huge step towards God. And we have in the universal church, we've shown you videos of people who seem like they go from A to Z instantly, and when we don't, we naturally think, well, God has something against me. But it's not an A to Z step. It's small steps. Jesus working with us in the mess over time, continuing to be faithful. We get out of one mess and we step into another and Jesus says, I get it. Now let's get you through this one. That's the mystery and the miracle of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with you in your messiness. And that is a Christmas gift that you can never purchase on your own. Here's how Mary wrapped up the thoughts. Luke 2.19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She treasured the mess. Hey, this Christmas, everything won't be ideal. Not everything will go according to script. Nothing was how she envisioned it, but she treasured the mess. So today, I close with this. What mess do you need to invite Jesus into? Hey, who do you need to forgive and you're struggling and it's painful and it's ugly and Jesus needs to come into the mess? Does he need to be invited into your marriage? Is there something that you're engaged in that you're not really really pleased about and it's kind of hidden and it's under the radar or it's in darkness and we need to invite, invite Jesus into the mess? This Christmas... It's not about perfection. It's about the Savior of the world stepping out of heaven and climbing into the trash heap and saying, how you doing? You want to do this together? That is a Jesus. And that is the Jesus that I worship and that I rediscover every Christmas, even in the mess. Stand with me. Now, I told you this was a good series for you to invite people to, and you thought I was lying. Next week, we're going to talk about messy choices. And I encourage you to invite someone to come that they may experience Jesus in a new and a fresh way, hopefully, and that the Holy Spirit can start working in their lives. Pray with me. Just in the moment of silence, 
I want to give you a moment to invite Jesus into your mess. And you know what it is. And will you listen to what he speaks over you? Not to be weird or anything, but can you just kind of in your mind's eye, in your spirit, wherever you're at, in your mess, and you see yourself there, can you see Jesus approaching you in your mess? And he's not approaching you with a scowl on his face. He's not approaching you as a father who's disappointed. He's not approaching you as a a parent who's going to say, I told you so, or you did it again. There's not an instrument of punishment in his hand. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And he approaches with arms open and embraces you in your mess. I love that image. And will you begin to follow one small step, one small decision at a time? Will you cling to Jesus? Maybe you've never even made that decision. Now is your opportunity to say, I I want this Jesus that you speak of. I want to invite God into my mess that my mess can be forgiven and begin to be transformed. And if that's where you're at, it's as simple as just saying yes. Just saying, Jesus, come into my mess. And forgive me of the mess that I've caused, the mess that has been done to me. This Christmas, we embrace the mess because in the mess we find the miracle. And finding a little more of Jesus is the best thing that we can receive. I bless you, church, to have a messy Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Listen, listen. If you need prayer, let someone agree with you and pray with you over your mess. Listen, we're all one huge mess. Just on your way out, just pat someone on the butt and say you're a mess. God bless you guys. (laughs) 